0: I want to talk to you about what the Lord has put on my heart. I've had it. Sometimes I don't get it till that morning. But this time I got it a couple of days ahead of time. Glory to God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good thing. So y'all must have been praying. Somebody was praying. Yeah, yeah. Because usually my staff will ask, do you got it together? The last time Keith was gone, it was like, After all that happened with his dad that I did something. So uh, God's faithful. And uh, if we'll pray and believe him, he'll show us what we need to do. And it'll be the thing that helps us the most for the time. You know, when you're traveling on the road and stuff, everybody comes up and says, what book's the best for me? Well, it's the one that's going to help you right now. You know, the one that's going to help put you over for what you need today and tonight. Well, I'm expecting good things and I know you guys are expecting good things. So uh, we want to talk about the subject of what? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay, we'll talk about the subject of marriage tonight. What happens when somebody gets married? How does all these things come about? Somebody, uh, see somebody we were talking about in the youth the other night about prearranged marriages and I asked them, I said, how many of you would trust your parents to pick your husband for you? You should have seen their faces. It was like, you are kidding me, right? No way. I think one of them raised their hand, you know, and said, uh, I think I would mind, you know. And so uh, all the rest of them said, no way would I, you know, do that. So, uh, But it's not that way with all of us in here. I don't think anybody in here has a prearranged marriage, right? You know, nobody held a shotgun to you or anything like that, right? Raise your hand if they did. Somebody held a shotgun. Okay. All right. Everybody's okay then. So everybody in here got married of their own free will, right? Some of you didn't say (laughs) nothing. That's scary. Everybody in here got married on your own free will, right? Right. So what happened when you got married? What do they call it in the world? That you tied the knot, right? Yeah, you tied the knot. So what does that mean? You tied the knot. Became one. one. Became one. Let's find out some more about that. What does it mean to tie a knot? To tie a knot means to twist together so that separation is difficult. Separation is difficult, and then it says to fasten or join one thing to another. That which binds to tie, union, bond, connection, attach, uh, solder, clamp, knit, link, marry, stick, strap, screw, tie, wed, glue. You get the picture, right? I put super glue. You know, some glues are kind of cheap and they don't hold together real well. So I'll put super glue, you know, on here. Let's look at a couple of scriptures into what it means from the word to actually tie the knot. First Corinthians 7, 32. And for those of you who don't know me, I don't usually turn to the scripture because I usually type them all out. I usually have like 25 pages up here, you know, and I type them big. So, you know, I can see them real good. So 1 uh, Corinthians 7, 32. But I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried cares for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married cares for the things that are of the world, and how he may please who? All the men said his wife. Great. There's a difference between a wife and a virgin. Verse 34. The unmarried woman cares for the things of the Lord, how she may be both holy in body and spirit. But she that is married cares for the things of the world, and how she may please who? Her husband. Y'all got it right. The men were stronger on the first one. The la- Y'all are doing so good. Yeah, we didn't have to do it over. Good thing. All right. So what's that saying is you've tied the knot. You no longer can just care about what you want to do or when you want to do it. You have to care about the other person now. Correct? All right. Let's look at Ephesians 5.22. Ephesians 5.22. Y'all don't mind turning to scriptures, do you? Y'all are trained by Keith, so I know you don't. Ephesians five twenty two. It says, and all the ladies, put your fingers in your ears. Ready? Wives. Somebody say it. <laughs> Wives, submit. Yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. All right, and then verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Now, doesn't that kind of describe it just a little bit, what marriage is? No. Most people just kind of go, oh, oh, yeah. But it does. If you think about it just a minute, think about... I told this last year, but I want to tell it again because it will lay a foundation for some other stuff. Think about... A person that comes down the aisle to get saved on Sunday morning. Before that person comes down the aisle to get saved on Sunday morning, who is the Lord of their life? Theirself. Not complicated, theirself. But what happens when that person gets saved? The Lord becomes their head then, right? They're no longer just the Lord over their own life. The Lord becomes their head. Correct? Well, what does it say in verse 23? The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. So, let's do something here. Dave and Kim, come up here just a minute. All right, Dave, you take this little rope over here and hold it over here. And Kim, you take this little rope and hold it over there. And what are we going to do? Oh, y'all are way ahead of me on this number, right? Okay, y'all walk down the aisle like y'all are getting saved. Let's just see the difference. Just start. Dave just went up. He'll get his workout tonight. He jogged the other day, but we'll make him jog tonight. That's far enough. Okay, now y'all walk down here. Okay, they're getting saved. They're their own lords. They're their, okay, they're getting saved. Okay, now they're saved. Jesus is their Lord, right? Okay, Jesus is their head. Okay, what happens when a couple gets married? Who walks down the aisle? Oh, who walks down the aisle? All right. Set it up that way, Dave. Stand over here like the man's supposed to stand over here where Kim is. And Kim, you walk down the aisle like you're getting married tonight. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. She's going to get married for us tonight. We need to get her married, don't you all think? Oh, that's far enough. Okay. So she walks down the aisle. Come on down here, Kim. All right. Does she have a head before that? Okay, so then what happens when she comes down here to the front and, okay, y'all come down here and join. And let's do something while y'all are joining here, okay? Y'all are facing me and uh, da di da I now pronounce you husband and wife. Okay, now hold your end of the rope and you hold your end of the rope and turn around. I now pronounce you husband and wife, right? Yay, they're married. What happens when you do that? They're tied the knot. There's some other things that's happening here. Look real closely. There's one piece. Y'all are getting it. Her part's on his side and his part's on her side. Can you see that a little bit? So what affects him affects her and what affects her affects him. Is that right? Alright? Stand there just a minute, guys. So what does it say? Look at verse 26. That he might sanctify and cleanse it when a person gets saved, person gets right, he's going to sanctify them and he's going to clean them up, right? Right? And he's going to clean them with the washing of the water by the word. So the word is represented by the waters. It's cleansing them and washing them, Right? So um, what I want us to do, what does it mean to cleanse it? Clean it up. Get out all the impurities. Get out all the bad things out of it. Get all the things that are negative out of it, okay? So what happens when um, you've got a couple here and they've just gotten married? What happens to the thoughts of that couple? They have to change. Their thoughts can no longer be just to focus on exactly what they want. Because what did we read first off in 1 Corinthians? It says that the husband cares about what now? His wife. What does the wife care about? The husband. So what has to happen now? They have to cleanse their mind of what they thought before that they wanted to do and how they wanted to do it and how they wanted to react and how they wanted to do things and when they wanted to do them and how they felt about this. What will help them do that? The Word will help them do that. So we're going to use the water as the Word. We're going to use this rope here, and I'm in my own place so I can do this. Y'all stand and hold it over the flowers, though, so Kim don't fuss too much. Okay? Hold the rope over the flowers here. Okay, this is Kim and Dave, right? Kim is pink, Dave is blue. What happens when you pour water over a knot? Can y'all see this? It pours water over that knot. Okay, we just poured water over it tonight. Now y'all pull it a little bit. Pull it. I mean, pull it. Stress, a problem. Y'all are having a big fight. Okay, but you got the word last night. So it tightened up a little bit because of the word last night. Okay, so what happens the more words you get in you? Tighter that knot gets. The harder it is for what's that word? Separation. Tying a knot, it twists things together so that separation is what? Difficult. And the rope is twisted together to where it's harder to pull it apart now because it's got some water on it. It's got some word on it. Harder to pull it apart. Let's see what happens to this rope by Friday night. See if we'll be able to get it apart. Y'all want to? We'll leave it up here and we'll let Dave and Kim see if they can keep their marriage together by Friday night. <laughs> so um, you understand what I'm saying? It's a knot. You've tied it together. You've got uh, two people now. They've become one. Right? So what does that mean? When we become one with God, what happens to us? We become in covenant with God. We become a part of Him. Everything that He has that's good, what happens? What's Keith been teaching us on Friday nights for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks? The blessings. Redeemed. Everything that God has becomes ours. Whether I mean, we sure get the better end of this deal. Because uh, what you have to do when you get saved is you have to totally give yourself, right? When you get married, you have to totally give yourself. Not this 50-50 stuff, it's 100%. But, as you're doing that, and you're getting, when you get saved, you get all of God's good things. I mean, you get healing, you get prosperity, you get deliverance, you get wisdom, you get answers, you get everything that you can think of, right? What does He get? Our jump. So you've got somebody that's got something good, and then you've got somebody that's got something bad. What happens when you get married? No matter what the other person's got, you get it. You become one. If they've got good things, if they're rich, then you become rich. I don't believe in all this prenuptial stuff. I mean, that's not covenant. That's uh, protecting yourself because you know you're going to get a divorce probably. So um, why else would you do it? Okay. So uh, I said it. Anyway. um <laughs> I tell you what, Keith would have had a doggone hard time getting me to sign a prenuptial. Well, all he had was his car, so. <laughs> been difficult, right? I mean, that's all you had, right? A dog, maybe, but that was about it, you know. So, uh, and I had even less, so, uh, you know, there you have it, you know. So, uh, maybe the clothes on our backs. So, to sign a prenuptial, you know, it would have been just ridiculous. But anyway, you get the good, you get the bad. You get everything in a covenant. You know, when we were at school, um, Doc Horton taught a class on blood covenant. And he told us about some two different tribes that cut a covenant with each other. Some of y'all might remember it, that went to Rome. And he told us about these little guys that were like three and a half feet tall. And then these other guys that were like giants, you know. They were like seven feet tall. And they cut a covenant together. Now, wasn't that a good covenant? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the giants were lacking in... Lots of areas. You know, there were so many things. They didn't have food and all different kind of things he told us about, you know. But the little guys, I think they were called the pygmies or something. They were the little guys, and they could not defend what they had. They kept losing everything they had because they couldn't defend themselves. So what happened when they went in covenant with these big guys? The little guys never fought again. They used the big guys to fight for them. They used their strength to fight for them. Well, that's the way it should be in marriage. There should never... It could be that no one ever knew that there was any kind of deficiency in your marriage or in a person. Like, there's areas that I'm strong in. Well, let's say, um, like Keith. Keith's strong in working on cars, you know. I would hate for you to bring your car for me to tell you what's wrong with it, okay. It would be a sad, sad thing. But if there's a problem with a car, I'll go to Keith and he'll say, Well, Phil, this is what's wrong. We need to do this. Well, like one day we got up to come to church and uh, I started the truck and I heard this, You know, all this. I said, I don't know what it is, but fur went flying. And uh, I went and got him. And it, what was it? A big, what was it called? A big field rat had got up in there and it was bad news. It wouldn't steer it, But, you know, he knew what was going on. We didn't drive the truck, okay? But don't put him in the kitchen and tell him to make gumbo for you. (laughs) Do you understand that? But you'd never know that because you could come to my house and eat gumbo and you'd never know it because I know how to fix it. So anything that I can do that's strong... You'd never know that he didn't make it unless I just put up a sign I made the gumbo. (laughs) You know? Well, the same thing with the truck. You didn't know that I didn't know that there was a field rat in the truck. You just knew that he said, don't drive the truck. So we didn't drive the truck, you know? Every person in their marriage, most likely, you've got strong areas. Joan's got strong areas. Fred's got weak areas. Fred's got weak areas. Joan's got strong areas. But if you do it right, nobody ever has to know those weak areas. Because why? You're in covenant with each other. You're together. You're one. You're not separate anymore. All your strong things and all your good things. Keith has learned about covenant, but he's learned it the hard way. And I'll tell you why. Everything he gets is mine. (laughs) It's a fact. It's a fact, you know, he'll get a new coat. He can't wear my clothes. You understand that. But I love big coats and big jackets and, you know, different things like that. So if he gets a piece of jewelry, I'll wear it on this finger, you know, or I'll, if it's a little big, big deal, but he can't get it around his wrist or he can't, you know, I mean, so he does not so good by the covenant. He got the bad end of the stick, you know, but I've come out real good on the covenant part. You know, I mean, I remember he got this one leather jacket one time and he wore it, I think, one afternoon and he never saw it again. And he said, Phil, where's my leather jacket? And I'd say, well, sweetheart, don't you know about the covenant? You taught me about that, don't you? And he just walks away and just shakes his head. So covenant, everything that he has is yours. Everything you have is his. Everything good, bad and different. It's all one now. Okay, so let's, let's go on to the next thing. What my title of my message tonight is Trust. T-R-U-S-T. We just covered the T. Tie the knot. Tie the knot. If we look at this stuff right tonight, by the time we get finished with it, I am believing that there will be so much trust built into your relationship that nobody could pull that cord apart. Nobody could pull that and make it be separate again. Because once it's one, we don't have the choice in covenant to just say, okay, let's go get a divorce. That's the world's way. That's not our way. I mean, sure, if you wanted to get a divorce, there's two people in this room that I know right now that could have gotten a divorce a hundred times over. Because I told you all last night, I was rebellious. Believe it or not, I talked too much and I was rebellious. Now, don't, you know, do what you want to with that. But anyway, we'll get into it some more maybe later on. And uh, But, I mean, just fight, you know, And because I wouldn't give in. I was going to have my way whether or not. I was going to win no matter what. But you know what? Even winning, I was miserable. Do you understand that? I was winning, he'd give in, and I was the one still miserable. So it doesn't work. Even if you're winning, if you're not doing it God's way, it's not going to work. So uh, we got the T in trust. We got the tied the knot. We're together, right? We're one. So let's look at the next thing that happens after we tie the knot. What's the next letter in trust? R. R. So uh, what do y'all think R stands for? Respect. There you go. Let's turn to 1 Peter 3.7. And I'm going to read it to you from the NIV guys in the back. Y'all can put it up on. Y'all don't even have to turn there if you don't want to because it'll be in a different translation. 1 Peter 3.7. Husbands, in the same way be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So in first Peter three seven, husbands, you can write it down, it tells you to respect your wife. Okay? Ladies, Ephesians five thirty three in the amplified, and I know we have that one. Ephesians five thirty three. It says, however, let each man of you, without exception, love his wife and be, in a sense, his very own self. And let the wife see that she respects and reverences her husband. So now we've both got places that it tells us to respect. Last night, Keith did an excellent job of explaining what respect means. It means the same thing as esteeming. But here's some more words that, in case you weren't here or something, that will go into it. It means to admire somebody. You know when you admire somebody, not a movie star, but you really, really admire somebody. They've got gifts and graces that you'd like to have. You admire them. Then esteem them. He covered that really good last night. Uh, reverence to them. You appreciate them. You have an affection for them. You look up to them. You know how a little boy looks up to his dad? You look up to him. You honor him. You value him. You think highly of him. You hold him dear. You praise them, and last night he even covered this, you prize them and you treasure them. So you value them. But to know really what respect is, so many times in our society, the word respect is just gone. It's like uh, you watch on TV, and the church people here have heard me tell this before. I really, 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 really dislike 98% of the commercials anymore. Have y'all noticed it since I told y'all that? It is absolutely ridiculous as to how they do what the opposite of respect is, which is disregard, dishonor, disdain, disrespect, and the last one, belittle the man of the house. Even like, and I don't want to call any names, there's a chicken commercial, you know, and they come home and the three of them, the husband and the two kids are sitting at the table and the wife has worked all day and she brings home the bucket of chicken and they're all fighting over which one they're going to get. And he's like one of the little kids, you know, or the one that they say that about, um, he just had to have a motorcycle. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Or what was the one that they sprayed the furniture with that he didn't even have a sense enough to get a squirt bottle and spray furniture to make it smell better? Now, what does that do? There's no respect in that. But now, that's a TV commercial. Right? We don't have control over those. But what do we have control over? Us sitting at the dinner table with some people. And he gets to telling the story. And she decides right in the middle of it, it ain't right. And there ain't no other way but to do what? Just like what he said last night, he was not kidding you. We were out. We were actually, I think on our motorcycles that day, weren't we? And we were sitting there and somebody pulled up to tell me, to tell me that they like my trike. Not his Harley, but my trike. Okay, all right. And she was going on and on about my trike. Well, the husband was driving the car, and they said something and about the trike or something. And like she knew, that's what's the bad part about this is like she knew exactly about that motorcycle. She was beginning to tell all. Of, he was beginning to tell something about the motorcycle, and she corrected him and told him he was wrong. Just shut up. Let me do it. Let me do it where she was the one that was really in the wrong. He was the one that was actually right. Well, that's belittling your partner. That is not respecting your husband. And husbands, it ain't cool to get in front of people and tell your wife how fat she is. It ain't cool. You know, you see those commercials, that guy, um, the wife comes in and she says, does this make me look fat? And what does he say? You betcha, that's it, you betcha. You betcha. Oh, boy. You know. That's not respect. It's no longer that who did the Bible say was the head of the house? Y'all got quiet. All you men should have yelled that one out. Who did the Bible say was the head of the house? The husband. But all of our movies, all of our commercials, everything in society today paints a different picture for us. It's that... The woman is superwoman, wonder woman. She does it all, and he can do nothing except for lay around in a hammock. Well, that's not the way the word set it up. But you know, part of the problem in that is not just the wife, is husbands not being the head of their houses. You know, you've got both sides of it. you got men that refuse to be the head of the house, and you got women that love being the head of the house. But that's not the way God intended it. And there's absolutely no way, no matter how hard you try, if you don't do it the Bible way that it's going to turn out right. I don't care how good you think it is. If you're not doing it the way the Word says doing it, you're missing out on good things. That's what I didn't know. Keith and I got married. Most of you know this story. Keith and I got married and... uh, my mom pretty much, you know, was in charge of things. My dad was a lot of times working in different situations and stuff, and she was pretty much in charge of things. Well, Keith's dad pretty much was in charge of things at his house. And I've said it over and over again. Um, it's like when you uh, tie two cat's tails together, and you tie them real tight like this knot, and you just throw them over the clothesline like that. What do you think's going to happen? You know, it's going to be major world war fighting, you know. I mean, what happens in those situations? I thank God, probably at least every other day, once a week, something like that, that Keith was not like a lot of men. A lot of men will not go and put forth the effort to stand their ground and say, we're doing it the Bible way. Most people are not going to put forth the effort to say, it's not going to be this way. They'd rather give in than fight. They'd rather bend. They'd rather quit. They'd rather stop. They'd rather just pull away to themselves. But I thank God for a godly man that said, where does he say? Where's the scripture for that? Where's the scripture? And he didn't give in. He didn't give in. Yes, praise God. Because what happens is now we have a better marriage than, I'd say, the biggest percentage of population in society today. But it wasn't because I didn't try to run things. I did. I did, and one day I remember explicitly, I not only ran offices and had staff working under me, I've done it pretty much ever since I can remember, but um, one day I came in the door, and he looks at me real sweetly, and he says, never mean, he just says, Phil, you're home now, sweetheart, you know. In other words, you're not going to run home now, sweetheart. You can run the office, but you're not going to run home, you know. When it tells a man to be the head of the house, it doesn't say for him to beat it into his wife. It tells him to be a godly man, and if he does it the way God does, what did it say God did? He loved and he cherished it. Him saying, Phil, sweetheart, you're home now was not abusing me. It was reminding me, Phil, you're not going to run this place, you know. You can run that place maybe, but not this one here. Because that's not what the Word says. So, we have to change our mentality in today's society. It's got to be changed. Because if we don't, how many divorces are there today? It's unreal. It's unreal. It's over 50% now. You know, it's more like 60, 70% now. And why is that? Because they're trying to do it their way and not this way. And this way is the only way that works. Find the scripture for it. It says that when you get saved, Jesus is your Lord. When you get married, who is your Lord? Y'all said it real quietly, but it still says it in the scripture. I didn't write it. I know the first, it was the funniest thing. I don't even like telling this story, you know, because um, I can't look at Keith when I tell it. I got saved when he was tarrying. Our church people knows what that means, but I got saved when he was tarrying, you know. He was tarrying and 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 and I got tired of him tarrying, so I thought, well, it's something that I'm doing that's keeping him from receiving the Holy Ghost, you know. So I went forward and I got filled with the Holy Ghost, you know. But I got baptized, you know, and when I got baptized, I thought, because it was a certain denomination, I thought, okay, well, Phil... You might as well as give in now because you won't be able to wear makeup anymore. You won't be able to cut your hair anymore. You won't be able to wear jewelry anymore. And forget the pants, sweetheart. That's it. (laughs) Which was the worst one for me. You know that. So, um, but um, that wasn't what the Lord told me. I got baptized. And somebody, we were riding in the car with them. And as we were going along, they said... um, just believe that when you come up, you'll be speaking in tongues. So I did. I believed what they told me. I didn't know. I'd never been around this stuff like he had all of his life. So when I went down, I went down and wasn't speaking in tongues. But the moment that I started coming in an upward motion, I started speaking in tongues. I mean, and I really started speaking in tongues. and been doing it ever since, you know. But Keith knew that the Lord had spoke something to my heart that night. And we walked into our trailer to change clothes. And it was like 3 in the morning or something by then, wasn't it? It was really late. And um, he says, Phil, what did the Lord tell you? And I said nothing. I lied, you know, because I couldn't tell him. I couldn't tell him because it was so unusual for me. I had never heard anything like that. This was before we knew these words even existed. I had never read the Bible at that point in time. I probably had never even turned a page in a Bible at that point in time. And um, the Lord told me I couldn't tell Keith this probably for I don't know how long. Probably a year or so. I don't. Do you remember how long it was? It was a long time, wasn't it? Anyway, the Lord told me when I was coming up and I got baptized, He didn't tell me about not wearing jewelry and doing makeup and my hair and all these other things. The only thing He told me that night was, Submit to your husband. Now, isn't that a real winner? You're gloriously filled with the Holy Ghost, all right? You're happy and shouting. And then all of a sudden, boom! submit to your husband, you know, it's like it took the fun right out of it, just right there, right there. But what I did do, I had sense enough to realize to get my Bible out and see what that meant. And so for however many years it's been now, 27, 28, something like that, years now, I've been studying about how to submit to your husband. It's been that long. 28 years. And it's been a subject that has been so near and dear to my heart because it's been a subject that is so lacking in our society today. I mean, you can't accomplish what you need to accomplish for God. It's like I've said around here before. Our church people know that I am not in bondage. They know that I'm not afraid. They know that I'm not beaten down. They know that, you know, the Lord has graced us. And But there is a right way and a wrong way to do things. And... Now I'm happy. Then I was getting my way with things and I was miserable. Go figure. God's way works. So the R stands for respect. We in today's society must begin to respect each other again and respect the place that God has given us. You say, well, my husband doesn't read his Bible. How am I supposed to respect him? Well, you may not respect him as a person in some of the things he does, but you do have to respect the point that he has the place because God said he's the head of the house. And I got news for you. I don't care how hard you pray, he's still the head of the house. And I don't care how much you, I know I could stand up here tonight and tell you at least a half a dozen stories of a wife that got the leading from God, that they were supposed to go here or they were supposed to go there. One of them called us in the middle of the night and said, Brother Keith, we're coming home. We found out, wife prayed, she heard from God, we're supposed to go here and start this church. We found out how to miss God, we're going to write a book on how to miss God and be miserable. But now the wife heard from God. And I'm not saying women can't hear from God. I hear from God, but God does not give me, it's just like this church, okay, like Christ is the church, isn't that what we just read, let's see what verse it was in, so you renew your mind, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church, okay, Christ is the Lord of this church, okay, then who's the next person? Brother Keith, do you think that God is just gonna go around everybody, you know, go around Keith and go tell everybody in the church what's supposed to happen with the church and skip Keith altogether? Do you think that's gonna happen? Even if he's doing something wrong, he's still the pastor, right? So God's gonna do what? He's gonna tell him. Well, it's the same thing with your marriage. It's the same as Christ and the church. He's not going to go around the husband and tell the wife what they're supposed to do for their ministry and their lifelong things. Now, sure, he may tell the wife, do this with the kids, because that's her responsibility. But as far as the vision and the ministry and the lifetime things that you're supposed to do, that's going to come through the head. Just like you hear from God about your personal things, you're going to go buy a Buick or a Chevy. But as far as anointing things for direction for your life and those sort of things, he's not going to skip that place, no matter what your husband does or doesn't do. So, husbands, you need to be praying and hearing from God. So we don't want to skip this respect issue. You know, we need to train our kids right. We teach the kids in children's areas that the husband is the head and that the wife is the support and the helps, you know. And uh, that has to be that way. It doesn't matter what a commercial shows you or what anybody else does. The respect issue has to be there. So let's go to the next letter. What is it? You. You. Anybody want to guess at that one? Nope. Nope. I probably should tell y'all, right? Y'all have to guess. Y'all can be led, right? Y'all got the Holy Ghost? No. No. Unreliable. Oh, you'd have never got that one, would you? Well, see, the Holy Ghost gave me that one. He didn't give it to you. Turn to Proverbs 25 19. Imagine that. And there's also one that goes right along with it while you're turning, unfaithful. Unreliable, unfaithful, they're pretty much a lot the same. So Proverbs 25, 19. Confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. Yuck. Let's read it from the Living Bible. I think we have that one too. Proverbs 25, 19 from the Living. Putting confidence in an unreliable man is like chewing on a sore tooth or trying to run on a broken foot. What's the word that comes to your mind? Pain. Useless. If, uh, no good to you. You try to take a step on a broken foot, what's going to happen? You're going to fall. It's useless to you. You ever stood up on a foot that went to sleep? It feels useless to you. Just you fall. It's no good to you. In reliability and faithfulness, something else comes to mind to me though. Does anybody in here ever heard of uh, the virtuous woman? Let's turn there. Proverbs 31. Everybody should know where that is. Proverbs 31, verse 10. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her, so that he will have no need of spoil. She'll do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Now, the Amplified says, a capable, intelligent, and virtuous woman, who can find her? She's far more precious than jewels, and her value is far above rubies or pearls. The heart of her husband trusts in her confidently and relies on and believes in her securely so that he has no lack of honest gain or need of dishonest spoil. She comforts, encourages, and does him only good as long as there is life within her. Now that's a reliable person, isn't it? Very reliable. In First Timothy, you can turn there, chapter three, verse eleven, there's qualifications for deacons and bishops and those sort of things. Any of y'all ever read them? First Timothy three eleven. It tells something that makes you qualify even to serve in the helps ministry of a church. It says, even so husband, now it's talking about the husband, but listen to what it says. Even so must the wife of the husband be grave, not a slander, be sober and faithful in all things. Faithful, the wife of the husband. Doesn't just mean if the husband is faithful, it means who else has to be faithful? Why does it matter? Because they're all in one now. And whatever he does, she does. Whatever he has, she has. And whatever he is, she is. Good or bad. They're all the same. The Amplified says, The women likewise must be worthy of respect. Serious, not gossipers, but temperate. Self-controlled, thoroughly trustworthy in all things. Now what does reliable mean? Dependable. It says capable of being dependable. Not subject to change or variation, constant, stable, steady, unchanging. Who does that sound like? God. Keith, yeah. <laughs> I believe that, yeah. Reliable. Constant. Stable, steady, unchanging. So what is the opposite of those things? unreliable. Listen to this. See if it sounds like nobody in here, right? So don't raise your hand. And like Keith says, just look straight forward. Nobody will know it's talking about you, okay? Likely to change moods frequently. Nobody in here does that. That's what happens so many times. Is you wake up in the morning and you wonder with your spouse, what side of the bed are they going to get up on today? Listen to some of these words. Now, don't raise your hand they're moody, they're erratic, they're temperamental, they're unstable, they're unpredictable, they're flighty, they're unsteady, they're changeable, they're inconsistent, they're undependable. That sounds like most marriages today. I mean, you see it all the time. I mean, our example of marriage is not TV. That people yell and scream at each other and it's okay and it's the way it's supposed to be. We don't have to have that kind of thing. Why is it that way? What makes you stable and solid? The Word. The foundation of the Word. The fruit of the Spirit. Makes you steady and stable. What happens when you see a marriage that's in an uproar and a turmoil and it's these things, moody and erratic and temperamental? This is what I was when we first got married. Nobody in here raise your hand. i just going to talk about me. Okay. I was moody. I didn't get my way. I screamed. I fought. I said ugly things. I was temperamental. If it didn't go just exactly the way that I wanted it to go, I had something to say about it. I had to have my way about it. Unstable. I mean, bless Keith's heart, he didn't know if I was going to get up on the right side of the bed or the left side of the bed today. Was it a good day or a bad day? Up and down, like a yo-yo. Up and down, up and down. You never knew what the person was going to be like that day. But what helps steady you and change you? The washing of the water by the word. The word, the foundation of the word. So if you think that um, the word doesn't make any difference in your marriage, it's the only thing that can change these things. It's the only thing that makes you more consistent and more steady and more stable. It makes you less moody. Because if your spirit man on the inside of you is stronger, what happens to your flesh man? It gets weaker. But if your flesh man is stronger and you have absolutely no word in you, what happens to you? Your spirit gets weaker. And you can't even hear it. You can't even hear it telling you not to say that. You just say it before you think about it because your spirit man is so weak because you haven't fed him. But if you feed your spirit man, And he gets stronger and stronger and stronger. Then when a situation arises, like what Keith was talking about last night, you know not to say it. But not only do you know not to say it, what happens next? You don't say it. The reason that you say it is because you've been too carnal. You've been too fleshy. How do I know this? Been there and done that. that. The more words you get in you, the stronger your spirit man is to where that your flesh can't just do what it wants to do when it wants to do it and how it wants to do it. You have something inside of you giving you a check and saying, now, Mo, don't tell Sharon that today. It's not the best day to tell her that. Now, next week would be a good day to tell her that. Even the Bible talks about, uh let me think of who it was. Keith will have to help me here. He's my uh, story man. Was it Naaman and Abigail? Was that their names? Um, he told David and his mighty men about not giving them food, and he had spared all their lives and all these other things. And uh, she was a wise woman. But God told her, he's drunk tonight. Don't talk to him tonight. Wait till tomorrow to talk to him. Well, no, that's the Holy Ghost, isn't it? That's wisdom. Well, person that's too carnal, what would have happened? They would have went in that night and said, you stupid idiot. Don't you know he spared all these people? Da, da, da. What could have happened to her? She could have been dead. yep. Yeah. That's exactly what could have happened to her. But wisdom says don't say that now. There's a time and place that you can say things. There's a way to say things. And even if you are out at dinner and stuff like that, and somebody does say something wrong, you can say when you get in the car, sweetheart, did you know that that was actually this and not this? Oh, yeah, I forgot that. Instead of belittling them in front of somebody else. Besides that, most of the time, what difference does it make? Most of the time it ain't going to change your life or their life or the person that's listening to his life. It's just you got to be right. That ugly, stinking word Keith calls, what is it that word he uses sometimes? P-R-I-D-E. Yeah, that's what that word is, pride. That's the only reason that you do that is so that you can impress somebody with what you know and what they don't know. You know, so uh, we can change ourselves from being moody and erratic and temperamental and unstable and unpredictable and flighty and unsteady. I mean, it's not okay to fly off the handle. It's not okay ever to lose it. It's not okay ever to yell and scream. Ever. The only reason that you do that if you're doing it is because there's not enough word in here. And you're giving place to your flesh and not your spirit. And so it tells volumes about you, if anybody else hears it or knows it. And whether you know people know it or not, there's been magnitudes of times we've walked into people's homes and uh, you walk in there and Keith and I just kind of look at each other. You know it. You know there's been turmoil in there. You know there's been fussing in there. You know there's been fighting in there. But there's an easy way to stop it. The very best prescription, say you had cancer in your marriage today. What's the very best prescription for it? The word. The word. And it doesn't matter that you're reading about marriage scriptures. Just reading the Word will build you up to be able to resist how you feel all the time. Because, I mean, it's the funniest thing. You can control yourself, like he says, you know, with your boss. And you get just as mad at him or madder at him, but you can control yourself with him because there's consequences in it. But in a marriage, people don't try to control their self because... There's no consequences. So what? We have a fight. We get over it next week. Everything will be okay. But it's more to it than that. It affects a lot of things that you're going to see here in just a few minutes. So you got that one. Unreliable. Faithful. You know when, I hope now Keith knows when he wakes up in the morning that he don't have to wonder if I'm going to be spastic today or not. Do you understand what I'm saying? Stable. Stable. Hope he understands that I'm not going to go off the deep end and go out and get drunk today or I'm not going to go shoot somebody today or I'm not going to, you know, there should be some kind of stability built by now, that there should be some confidence. We're talking about trust now. Stability, that he should know how I'm going to act today, that I don't go up and down like a yo-yo anymore. I don't let just any little thing just fly me off the handle. There should be a confidence there now. And if there's not, then I need to get back into this. Same with you. So you didn't have to raise your hand. See, I told you about me. Okay, the next one. What's the next letter? S. Bet you won't guess this one. Self-pity. Oh, yeah, that's an ugly one, isn't it? Ugly one. And he didn't tell you all that one either, did he? Hmm. Self-pity. Turn with me to James 3.15. And this goes with the one before a little bit, too. This is from the Amplified, so they can put it up for you guys. But um, James 3.15. And I never get any of my sermon ideas or messages from my husband, just so you know. And I never lie either. No, I did get this from my husband. I'll tell you the truth. He taught on it recently, and I thought it was really good, and it applied here. James 3.15. This superficial wisdom is not such as comes down from above, But it's earthly and unspiritual, animal, even devilish and demonical. For wherever there is jealousy, envy, contention, rivalry, and what's the next one? Selfish ambition. ambition. There will what? There will also be these things. If you've got those things, these are going to be existent in that atmosphere. There will be also confusion, unrest, disharmony, rebellion, and all sorts of evil and vile practices. But the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure and undefiled. It is then peace-loving, courteous, considerate, gentle. It is willing to yield to reason, full of compassion and good fruits. It's wholehearted and straightforward, impartial. And unfeigned, fee from doubts and wavering and insincerity. And the harvest of righteousness of conformity to God's will in thought and deed is the fruit of the seed sown in peace by those who work for and make peace in themselves and in others. That peace, which means concord and agreement and harmony between individuals with undisturbedness in a peaceful mind, free from fears and agitating passions and moral conflicts. So what happens when selfishness is present? Confusion. Discord. When selfishness is there. Self-pity. Pitying oneself. Especially exaggerated or self-indulgent pity. It only cares about people knowing that it has been afflicted or in misfortune. Now self-pity is really, really ugly stuff. Because it is something that... To me, it's almost like the spirit of the devil. Feeling sorry for yourself all the time. Always wanting someone to pet you. Keith has a saying, never pet a powder. Guess where he got that from? The first 10 years of our life, I'm telling you, I gave him every sermon he ever got. I ought to get some credit for him somewhere down the line. Every one of them. So um, because he was saying what not to do, you know, I was good material. I mean, he did real good, real good. Pity is always wanting people to see that they're hurting, that nobody cares about them. They're only aware of what they want, what they need and how they feel. They have totally and completely lost consciousness that there's another person in the relationship that has needs. All that they think about is what they don't have, what they're not doing for them, how bad their situation is. It aggravates me when I see women put pressure on husbands to buy things for them when the husband has no more money than they have. It's ridiculous. What do they want him to do? Pull it out of the sky? You have faith too. You have just as much faith as he can have. You can believe for it just as well as he can believe for it. Or you could do something else. Get a J. OB, and get it for your SELF pity. I mean, it's aggravating. I mean, men, you know, can work and work and work and work and uh, just believe in God to pay the bills. And women sit around and don't have anything to do. I'll pick on the men in a minute. So women sit around and don't have anything to do, so they look at magazines and they look at stuff and they go to the mall. And they feel sorry for themselves because they're deprived. And the whole point of it is, who deprived them? But who do they blame? And it is the husband at fault. And that's what happens all the time. People sit down and for their lot in life, they have another person to blame for it. Just like here in the church, for instance. We're talking about Christ in the church. This will set better with some of you. Some of you will get mad, but get over it. <laughs> Just exactly like people come into the church. It's happened to us forever. It happened to us when we were with Brother Hagen and them. People don't want to bless you a lot of times. They want to know what can you do for them. How can you build them up? Like they come in the church and um, they tell us that they have this ministry. This is my ministry. I'm a prophet or I'm a prophetess, or I'm an apostle, or I'm a teacher, or I'm a psalmist, or I'm a this. And they want you to stop everything and get the microphone and say, okay, Barbara Joy, you've got it, sister. Come on, this is yours. We built this whole church just for you. God sent us here to build this place just for you. We'll sit down and just let you do it. They used our faith, our anointing, not ours. God gave it to us, but we obeyed what He said. But they don't want to do it for theirself. They want to use yours. They want to use your church as their voice. They want to be able to come in here and prophesy to everybody in the pew and tell them what they can and can't do. They want to use your things. Because why? Because they can't get it on their own. Why would a husband put pressure on a wife for certain things? Why would a wife put pressure on a husband for certain things? Because they won't do it for themselves. They refuse to do it for themselves. They just decide that they're going to, the husband is the source and he's the provider and he's the this and if we don't have a new house, it's all his fault. And he don't have his bass boat, because she won't let him have one. Or his motorcycle. I've never stopped Keith from having a motorcycle, you know why? Because God gives them to him. How can I stop somebody from giving him something, you know? He don't have to ask me, can I go buy a motorcycle? No, he uses his faith to go buy, somebody give him a motorcycle, or God give him the money to get a motorcycle. Why would he have to come and ask me for a motorcycle? I'm not his source. Same thing with the woman. Why would the woman have to go and ask the husband for a new house? I guarantee you, ladies, you believe God and God give you a nice new home with new furnishings and all the wonderful things that it has in it, your husband will do like what Keith said, I'll get my underwear and move in. That's what he told me. He said, you find a place and I'll grab my underwear and come over there. I'm telling you, how many of you men, if your wife found a house and God gave it to her, and it was paid for, and it was furnished, and it was brand new, how many of you men would get your underwear and move in with her? That's just what I thought. And how many of you women would pitch a fit if somebody came up and gave your husband a bass boat? I don't see a hand anywhere. Isn't that amazing? So why do we sit around and feel sorry for ourselves about things that we don't have and put pressure on other people? Because they don't recognize the gift that's in us. They don't recognize our place. They don't recognize our calling. They don't recognize us. They don't let us do things. Well, there's reasons that those kind of things happen. I don't let just anybody get up here and say what they want to say. They go start there and say, we have people all the time. God's called me to do this. Good. Do like we did. Go preaching in churches that don't have any money to pay you. And you have to believe God for gas money to get home. Go where people steal your offerings and you still don't have money to get home. Then you can have what God's called you to have. I mean, and it's the same way in marriage. You sow good things in your marriage and you lay the foundation of the word and do the things that you're supposed to do and you're not going to have to ask anybody, can you have this or can you do this? It will take totally and completely all the pressure off of your marriage. Because the answer is God's your source. You need somebody to pay you attention? What do you do? Go to God. What do you do then? You sow it. You forget about yourself. You get things by sewing things. You don't get things by demanding things. The person that I am more likely to put up here to do something, or Keith is more likely to put up here to do something, is who? Somebody that's been sewing. Dave, first time I saw him. I guarantee you, we did not even know each other. He came in here. He started dealing with things for me. He started moving carpet, doing this, doing that, doing this. Never upset because he had to do some menial clean the floor or sweep the floor or clean the toilet or whatever needed to be done. It was just at that point in time, he and I here, Keith was on the road traveling. The staff was gone. And I was here with a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of people from Service International. And it was like, what do we do? What do we do next? You know, but it didn't matter what needed to be done. So if I'm going to pick somebody to put up, who am I going to pick? Somebody that sewed. Somebody that gave. Same thing in your marriage. What's going to happen? You want something from your marriage. I guarantee you, men, if your wife is doing everything that you ask her to do, the way that you ask her to do it and never complaining about it, are you going to love her? Absolutely. She's never fussing about what you ask her to do. She's just glad to do it. Never complaining about it. What's that going to make you want to do? Shower her with love and do things for her. Men. Right? Absolutely. Ladies, what if your husband is all the time doing things for you? What if he's all the time buying you presents and going places and doing things that you like to do? Like, go to car shows. And ladies like to do that. Go to car shows and um, go look at motorcycles and um, talk about airplanes. And uh, those sort of things. So you sow that kind of stuff. And it's the strangest thing to me. Because I know how I have been all my life. And I know most of you are that way. When you're dating, they can do no wrong. So I'm not really sure when the self-pity part starts. The first time you didn't get flowers for your anniversary. Well, you know you don't want to go there with me. Because I'll say, how come you didn't give him flowers for your anniversary? It's his anniversary too. Aha, uh-huh, somebody got it back there. Aha, <laughs> uh-huh, there you go. Uh, you got it. All right, there you are. All right. I mean, we used to have people sit across the desk from us and say things like that. He didn't give me flowers for our anniversary. Well, uh, duh. Did you get married on the same day? Where is his flowers? You know, people are warped. Self-pity stuff. It's confusing. It's lies. It's no good. It's torment. You sow the good things and you're going to reap good things. You sow flowers, I guarantee you, and not get upset because you didn't get some. I'm telling you, there'll come a time you'll get more flowers than you know what to do with. Because it works. Sowing and reaping works. It always works. So self-pity to me, if I had to pick one thing that caused marital infidelity and affairs, it would be self-pity. You say, why do you say that? Well, because that's what happens. You get to work and you've had a bad night with your husband and he didn't bring you flowers for your anniversary. So you begin telling this man that works next to you about it. And he's like, oh, you bless your little heart. What you should ask him first off, did you get your wife flowers for your anniversary? I bet you the answer is probably no. But that's what happens. You get going with another person and you get to telling them all your little secrets and get to telling them all the little things, how your spouse is mistreating you, man or woman or woman or man, how they're abusing you and how they're mistreating you. Because of what? Feeling sorry for yourself. Nobody pays you any attention. Well, the only person that really needs to pay you any attention is God. And if He pays you attention, it really doesn't matter what everybody around you pays you attention because He'll make a place for you. Just like in the church. If God pays attention to you and he says, Keith and Phyllis, put that person up there to do that. Guess what? It's going to happen. Same thing in your marriage. God can change your husband's heart. God can change your wife's heart. But you've got to keep him first. Because if he matters, then he can deal with anybody's heart and he can twist it and change it. Ask me how I know. I don't have as much rebellion as I used to have. I can't tell you when Keith and I had a disagreement or an argument about something. And I was a world-class arguer. Uh, if he said it was black, it was white. Come, blank or high water. Y'all are slow tonight, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! <laughs> okay, the next one. The T. The final T. What does it stand for? Goes along just what we were saying. Truth. Truth. All these things are adding up. And we'll talk about them here in just a minute. Um, The truth is, just like what we were saying. Many husbands say, if my wife would submit to me, I would love her. And all the women say, if my husband would then I'd submit to him, lies, (laughs) lies, lies, lies. Ask me how I know. (laughs) Because it don't work. I mean, if you're getting everything, the only way that a relationship works is if people are giving. It's the only way it works is that people are constantly giving. To be honest with you, Keith and I don't have time a lot of times to think about what we want. We're too busy thinking about what this church needs that he's got to go speak at, or what this person needs, or that this church member uh, can't pay their light bill this week, or that this person's sick and we're going to believe for their healing. You get busy enough for God, and you're not going to have time to be in self-pity and believe all the lies about things. What's wrong with people is they don't have enough going in their lives with, for God. They've got too much free time on their hands. You get to believe in the truth and not believe in lies and start serving other people and start doing things for other people and the truth is going to come to you. I know exactly when I begin to get revelation about marriage. It wasn't all the time that I was sitting down reading the scriptures about marriage because all they did was make me mad. Hey, I'm human. They did. They made me mad. I thought, how is this fair, God? He's not supposed to change anything and I'm supposed to change everything. How is that fair? But the only way that things can work with you and God is when a husband and wife become one. That's the only way that they're going to be able to accomplish what God wants them to accomplish. And it's the lies that the devil feeds them that keeps them from accomplishing what God wants them to accomplish. Because they are not doing what God wants them to do. I'll remember it, I guess, as long as I live. The very first time I got light in an area where marriage was concerned, I was dealing with a couple that was about to get a divorce and talking to them about marriage. And given revelation that I had just read from the scriptures, most of it at that time, I didn't even believe it myself. Brother Hagin said he preached prosperity when he had, what, two nickels in his pockets or a dime or something in his pocket, something like that. And he preached it with, I mean, every fiber of his billion. And what happened to him? He got it. He prospered. He prospered. What happens so many times is people get so wrapped up in their marriage and what's going on with them and what they need. And if they could just look outside themselves, there's people a lot worse off than them. The truth is the word works. The lie is believing that you're doing without. Believing that the word doesn't work. Just like what I was doing. If you put it to practice in your life, it works. It works. Say, for instance, when Keith and I were first getting into the ministry and stuff. This will help some of y'all. So listen real carefully. Keith had a call on his life. I knew he had a call on his life. We'd go to services and... Brother Hagen would say, get down on your knees and commit your lives to the Lord. Keith will tell you. I'd go home and say, I'm not doing that. People don't know what the cost is to that. They may not have to do what I have to do. And I wouldn't do I'd get mad. And I'd take it out on him. Why do we have to do that? Why do we have to serve God that way? Other people don't have to do that. Why do we have to give up everything and do this? I mean, it's so many stories of it in the Bible. I've taught you on several of Moses and Zipporah. The worst time of his life, what happened? I mean, God's dealing with him with the burning bush. You know, he's dealing with him about his ministry and things that he's got to do. And what does she do? She starts chewing on him. Just like last night. What happened with David and Michael? I mean, ministry, things are happening in his life. And what does she do? Not good. So this is exactly what's happening with Keith. God's dealing with him. I mean, he's got five new subjects to start teaching at school on September 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th. And this is August the 15th. And I'm whining and complaining and feeling sorry for myself that he's not paying me any attention. Now, you've never done it, I know. (laughs) You've never fussed at your spouse because they're not paying you any attention. Well, I was. That's how carnal I was. I didn't see it. I was too blind to see the significance of what was going on in our lives. Because of why? Believing lies. What did this say? What did this verse say back here about a selfish ambition would do what? Would cause confusion. I was blinded to it. I was blinded to the truth that there was things that we needed to do in the ministry. That not only did he have a call on his life, but I had a call on my life. But I was refusing to do it. I was refusing to even get quiet enough before God. Now, you can say, well, I'm not called to the full-time ministry. Well, maybe you're not. But you are called to a ministry. And there are things in your life that you're supposed to be doing. I don't care whether it's a doctor or a lawyer or a trash picker-upper. You've got a call on your life to do what God tells you to do. And if you're not doing it, then things are not gonna progress for you. When he was trying to seek God and get all these things for his classes and stuff, I was the thorn in his side at that time. This was many years ago. He was trying to hear from God. Now was I trying to help him hear from God? Not at all. Not at all. And what happens is when you're doing these things and all you're doing is feeling sorry for yourself, you get more and 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 more more confused. And you can't even see the truth. Because it's like what somebody I know real well has said. When the truth comes and you refuse it, there's only one thing left. The lie. Now, there was a great man of God that said that. So what happens in marriages when you start doing that and the truth comes and it says, husbands, love your wives. It didn't ask you to. It didn't say if they treat you right. He had plenty of opportunities not to love me. But the scripture says, love your wife. That's how you make it work. So you love your wife. Wives, It says, submit to your husbands. You don't like it. I didn't like it. But dear me, the difference in my life since I began to do that. Talk about a place. You never have a place until you do that. You never even know what your place is. Because you're believing the lie. When you don't listen to what the truth is, that you're blessed, that you're healed, that you're prosperous, that you're in your right mind, that you've got a good spouse. The only thing left to believe is a lie. That your husband is no good. That your wife is no good. That they don't care about you. That they don't love you. That's the only thing left to believe is the lie. But we choose to believe what? We choose to believe the truth. It took me years. Y-E-A-R-S. To see the truth. And all that time I could have been enjoying life. But there was torment there. There was confusion there. And if you're living in torment tonight, mark my words, you're believing a lie somewhere. If you're living in torment in your marriage tonight, you're believing a lie. Go back and look. You don't have to talk to your spouse so much about it, but go back and see if you're doing what the Scripture says. Go back and see if you're doing the truth of the Word. If you're not doing the truth of the Word, then God cannot change anything in your situation. Because you've got to be doing the word in order for him to help you. He wants to help you. He don't like the torment any better than you do. But he can't do it unless you do what he tells you to do. So don't believe the lie. I want to read you from the Message Bible. I know it's, not, um, it's just an interpretation, but I think it really, really applies here. Uh, Romans 2, 1. And I think it really, really, really goes here. It's talking about those kind of people that are believing lies and stuff. It says those people are on a dark spiral downward. But if you think that leaves you on a high ground where you can point your finger at others, think again. Every time you criticize someone, you condemn yourself. It takes one to know one. Judgmental criticism of others is a well-known way of escaping detection in your own crimes and misdemeanors. But God isn't so easily diverted. He sees right through all such smoke screens and holds you accountable for what you've done. You didn't think, did you, that just by pointing your finger at others, like your spouse, you would distract God from seeing all your misdoings and from coming down hard on you? Or did you think that because He's such a nice God, He'd just let you off the hook? Better think this one again. From the beginning, God is kind, but He's not soft. In kindness, He takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into a radical life change. And what's happening so many times in marriages? Nothing is that person's fault. Everything wrong in your life is someone else's fault. Everything that's not right with you is someone else's fault. And why do people do that, did the Scripture just say? To get the spotlight off of them. Instead of them being willing to change what's wrong in their life, instead of me being willing to change what was wrong in my life, all I could think about was how he was putting Everybody else at school first and everything else first and nothing to me. He didn't care about me. But the truth was, I didn't care about him. Because I was unwilling to do what it took. I was pointing the finger at him instead of looking at my insides at what was going on with me. The first place that you start to fix your marriage is not by looking at your spouse. The first place that you start to fix your marriage is by looking on the inside of you. And finding out what do you need to change. I've seen it. Keith has seen it over and over and over and over again. And you don't get in fear about it, but you see it all the time. A spouse comes up and, like a husband, will come to a wife and he'll hand her divorce papers. And she'll say, we weren't even fighting. What's going on? Well, what's going on is the last 20 years, nothing has changed. So there's the divorce papers. But there's a way to fix all that is things that you discuss, things that you know the other one likes. Begin to do those things instead of the things that they dislike. Start looking at the inside. Ask the Lord to remind you of the things that they like. I think that was a big problem with me. I went through thinking that marriage was this, okay, work, dinner's on the table, have all the clothes washed, have all the stuff done, you know, fix the house perfect, it's clean, all these other kind of things. And to be honest with you, Keith could have cared less about most of that stuff. He'd rather that I spend time with him. He don't care if I cook. Yeah, I can cook and I'm a good cook. But most of the time he would prefer that I didn't cook so that I'm not worn out to spend time with him. Same thing with you guys. you got to find out what your spouse likes, not what Keith likes, not what I like. Find out what your spouse likes. Find out those things that please them. Like, I mean, I could tell you story after story of the ways I've tormented Keith, but, you know, it won't bless you very much. Like being 200 pounds overweight for the big part of our marriage. Kind and loving and sweet. I mean, he still loved me anyway. But that didn't mean I was blessing him all the time. That didn't mean it was making him happy. And what would have happened if 20 years down the road, he'd have come and handed me divorce papers and said, you know, before we got married, I told you, I didn't want to be with somebody that got 200 pounds overweight. And I would have just dropped my mouth and said, what do you mean? I've been this way, for..." but nothing changed. I still wasn't doing the right thing. So find out the truth in the situation. Find out the things that make your spouse happy, your wife, your husband, and work on those things. He may care that dinner's on the table or he may care that your house is a certain way. Yeah, Keith wants our house clean, so he's willing to help me pay for somebody to clean it. (laughs) Instead of me having to clean it. So there's ways to fix things. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, well, it's no fun going through your married life, you know. I mean, you know, you think back on things, how stupid you were going through your married life, you know, and you're so overweight you turn the lights off and pull the covers over your head before you can get in bed with your husband. I mean, that's not fun for him. You know? Then you wonder why somebody hands you divorce papers. Thank God he was a godly man or we'd have been separated many, many, many years ago. You know, you can't pretend about those kind of things. They're serious things and uh, you got to deal with them. So um, all these things and all the things that we talked about in the trust stuff, if you start on, what was the list? Let's see. I got it back here. If you start on tying the knot and the respect and the reliability and the no self pity being a giver or taker and always living in the truth, what do you think that's going to do? Do you think that's going to build trust in your relationship? Do you think Keith and I have a greater trust today than we did 28 years ago? Do you think that he's concerned that if I get out in front of somebody that I'm going to say things now that would just embarrass him or torment him or like I would have used to done when we first got married? There's a trust that's built there. There's a trust that's built over years and years, just like what he was saying last night. Brother Hagen used to say this all the time. We'd get tickled at him. He said, no, if Miss Aretha died, or, you know, he said, I'd never divorce her. He said, because uh, it takes too long to train him. <laughs> he said that all the time he'd say it I mean he did he, uh no 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 you know I wouldn't divorce her he said it takes too long to train another one so but um uh, through life we as married couples we're all believing for things in our lives. We're believing for the church people. We're believing for houses. They're believing for lands. They're believing for cars. They're believing for better jobs. They're believing for good things to happen in their lives, for them to be prosperous, for wisdom, for their ministries, for anointings, uh, their businesses to prosper. They're believing for all these things. But what can hinder those things? Turn to a scripture and let's look at that before we close tonight. First Peter 3. Verse 7. It's talking about wives submitting to their husbands. It's talking about uh, their adorning. Let it not be the outward adorning, but the inward adorning. And like he said li- last night, even Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And then verse 7. It says, likewise, you husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel, being heirs apart. Together of the grace of life, that what? That your prayers be not hindered. What does it mean to hinder something? Get it, slow it down. Delay the progress up. Interfere with the action of progress. Hamper, impede, obstruct, block, Down. I was thinking this afternoon about things you think about hinder. I was thinking about a couple of years ago, we had a pretty good snowstorm here around Christmas time. And I remember, I think it was Karen, was it you that drove from here to Springfield? And how long did it take? It was hours and hours because there was snow on the road and she got stuck and she couldn't get up the hill. There was a big truck jackknifed on the road, you know, and she was hours and hours. And then she was supposed to be going to St. Louis. And how many hours did it actually take you to get to St. Louis from the time you left here? Exactly. So it add all that up. About 24 hours. Yeah. A couple of days to get to St. Louis from here. Now, how far is St. Louis from here? Three and a half, four hours, right? It took her two days to get there. To St. Louis in the snow. Now, I don't know about you. I have faith. I do. But dear me, I don't want anything that I'm believing for to take absolutely one second longer than I need it to take. I mean, I'm a very patient person. Y'all all all know that. And uh, I don't do anything fast, and I don't like anything done fast, you know? All right. I never talk fast either. So what would I do if I wanted something of my prayers to be answered sooner? I mean, would I want it to be... It didn't say stopped. It didn't say it would stop your prayers. But you can stop your prayers by taking two extra days instead of four hours. What is the number one thing that stops people from getting their prayers answered? Quitting. Not giving yeah, they quit. They just quit. They give up because of the time. It takes too long. They give up. This is not happening. So do you want something that it's going to slow it down even more? Think about a faucet that's got sediment in it. The water is going to come through. But at what force? It slows it down. It hinders it. It'll get to you eventually and you'll fill up the tub eventually. But what's better? To turn on the faucet and zap You got the big tub full of water. You throw your bubbles in it and you sit back there. (laughs) Or for it to take four and a half hours to fill up your bathtub because you got something in the faucet. Isn't it a lot smarter to take the time Take the effort and unscrew that filter from that faucet and get it under the faucet and take out all that crud and grud and sand and whatever it is in there and then put it back on and it just flows so free and comes so quick. What if we took the time to do that in our marriages? That's what it was talking about here. It was talking about, in First Peter, it was talking about marriages. Things that would hinder your prayers. Husbands not loving their wives. Wives not submitting to their husbands. Would hinder your prayers. I mean, we won't have a show of hands in here. But I guarantee you that there's people in here that's believing for healing. They're believing for finances. They're believing for jobs. They're believing for answers. They're just believing for all sorts of stuff. And has it seemed to take a long time? Don't shake your head. Longer than really what it should Well, it might be that your prayers might be slowed down just a little bit. Like it took her two days to get to St. Louis. When it should have took her three hours. What happened to the children in the wilderness? They got there. But 40 years later. We can unclog those pipes to our prayers being answered. It does matter if you fight in your marriage. It does matter if you squabble and squeal and squawk and everything with your spouse all the time. It matters to your health. It matters to your finances. It matters to your job. It matters to your brain. It matters to every part of your being. Your kids. Are there problems with your kids? Have you prayed about it and prayed about it and prayed about it? Well, it'll it'll happen. Eventually, you'll get to St. Louis eventually you'll get that tub filled. But it sure is a lot better when there's no snow on the road and you just get in your car. And and if I was driving three hours and um, I got a ticket doing 92 in a 55 one time. And the cop said, just slow down, sweetheart. I said, yes, sir. No ticket. But then I got a ticket for not dimming my headlights soon enough and I could not complain at all because I had been given so many warnings. It was just unreal. And so I got a ticket for not dimming my headlights soon enough. And I just smiled while I wrote the check because, uh, you know, mercy. And uh, (laughs) because I don't do anything fast. But think about how fast you can get to St. Louis when the roads are clear. Think about how fast you can get your prayers answered when there's no strife, when everything's right in your marriage. Think about how quickly answers can come. Keith and I, I guarantee you today, if we would have agreed on something when we were having all that strife, we were dog poor broke, I'm telling you. We were broke. We were believing God. I mean, if it wouldn't have been for our parents sending us fresh vegetables that we could keep in the freezer, I mean, we would have starved to death. I mean, one night we got up and we had Wes one night, Wes, raise your hand. This is Wes. This is a good friend of ours. We've known him since those days. And uh, one night we were so broke, we had, I think, carrots and onions. And Wes said, Wes had some money. And Wes said, let me take y'all out to eat. And so we went to Montague's that night. We, I mean, we ate steak. Do you remember? And lobster. And um, I'm telling you, we ate that's the very night, though, you guys, that we tell about Trigger and the shifter getting stuck. We were in our nice clothes. You remember that night? Well, that was West that took us and blessed us with Montagues. But what I'm trying to tell you is that, um, get back to my story, is we were broke and we were fighting all the time. And we were sick. I was sick and we were fighting all the time. And never, never put the two together. But the moment that I began to do what I knew I was supposed to do in submitting and the moment Keith was totally loving, you know, the whole thing had to work. Both of us had to work. I mean, it was like almost overnight that we could pray about something. I mean, and answers and answers and answers and answers left and right and answers to questions and solutions and everything was working out for us. I guarantee you we would not have heard from God to go start a church in Branson had we have been fighting and in turmoil. We couldn't have heard. We wouldn't have been in unity. There would have been no way. So where would have all those blessings gone that you guys just did for us on double honor days? They would not have existed. But you know the worst part about that is? In the middle of our fights, we would not have even known it. Do you see what I'm saying? We would have not even known that Faith Life Church of Branson was going to take up offerings and give us offerings to bless us if we wouldn't have been doing what we were supposed to be doing and getting our marriage right and on the right track. Because Faith Life Church of Branson probably wouldn't have existed. So that's what's happening with a lot of marriages today. They do not even know what they're missing out on. They don't even know the good things God has for them don't even know the blessings he has in store them because it's more important to them that they get their way in the here and now. That they get their point heard and that they're right. And that's all that matters. Stand up with me. Let's make a confession over ourselves or pray over ourselves just for a moment. Now, don't say it if you don't mean it because, um, you know, that's just like lying. You know, so uh, if you don't mean it, don't say it. But if you mean it, we're going to commit to light that we've seen tonight doing. Any light that's been revealed to us, we're going to commit to doing it. So that we cannot miss out on the double honor days in our lives. Right? All right, close your eyes and lift one hand to heaven, because that's where all your help will come from. And say this after me. Father God, any truth... That I've seen seen, and you've revealed to me tonight. tonight, I will put to practice practice in my life. life, The devil cannot hinder me me, or keep back my finances or or hinder anything anything, in my life life, any longer. longer. because Because I will, husbands say, I will love my wife. Why I'd say I will, I will submit to my husband. So therefore, therefore there, are no open doors in our life. there are no open doors in our life. And the water can flow freely. And the answers can come. And the blessings can come. In Jesus' name. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge.